Have you ever felt a twinge of worry about AI taking over your job or diluting your creativity? Well, what if you could turn that fear into creative fuel? We've just published an amazing new ebook called The Four Keys to Success in an AI World. And this is more than just a guide. It's a deep exploration into the human skills that AI can't touch. The skills that are essential for standing out and thriving, no matter how much technology evolved. We're talking about real differentiators here like creativity, emotional intelligence, critical thinking, and much more. Inside, you'll find actionable insights and strategies to develop these skills, whether you're a creative person, a business person, or just simply someone who loves personal development. This isn't a story about tech taking over. It's a story of human creativity thriving alongside AI. Picture this, AI as your creative co-pilot, not just as a tool, but a collaborator that enhances your unique human skills. The Four Keys ebook will show you exactly how to do that and view AI in a new way that empowers you instead of overshadows you. Transform your creative potential today. Head over to unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys. Use the number four, K-E-Y-S. That's unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys and download your free copy. Before starting the podcast, I didn't have a body of work. You know, as I was talking about how I worked in finance and, um, and you know, I had, I had good jobs, so to speak, um, but I didn't have anything that had my name on it or like was anything that I could you know, show anybody. And, um, and I think now just even you know, there's, you know, the unit or, or the, uh, or the size of the body of work can be a lot smaller. I mean, you don't have to have, you know, 200 episodes like me, but, um, or a thousand episodes plus like you, but I think like a small blog post of just like, you know, here's the scope of the project or here's the scope of my role, or here's, here's where I got stuck or things like that. Like, really show, showcases how you think and how you adapted and the decisions you made. And I think that that's super valuable and you never know who's going to read your stuff or uh, reach out to you. And I think that that's really cool. And, but that the feeling of like just making ideas happen and, and, and creating the smallest thing possible is incredible. I'm Srini Rao, and this is the Unmistakable Creative Podcast, where you get a window into the stories and insights of the most innovative and creative minds who've started movements, built thriving businesses, written best-selling books, and created insanely interesting art. For more, check out our 500-episode archive at unmistakablecreative.com. David, welcome to the Unmistakable Creative. Thanks so much for taking the time to join us. Srini, it's an honor to be here. Thank you so much for the time. It is my pleasure to have you here. So I found out uh, about your work by way of one of our former guests, uh, April Rin, who's one of my favorite people that I've ever spoken to on this show. And she referenced you in something about, you know, portfolio careers. And as somebody who hasn't had a real job for 13 years and got fired from every real job I ever had, naturally, this was of tremendous interest to me and I think really, really relevant uh, to everybody listening but before we get into that, I wanted to start asking you, what did your parents do for work and how did that end up shaping the choices that you've made with your life and your career? Yeah, uh, great question. My dad was, uh, he, he's unfortunately no longer with us, but uh, he uh, spent most of his career selling life insurance. Um, so he was in sales and he... Honestly, used to always talk about uh, mentors and relationships, and um, I used to always kind of like learn through his stories related that way. Um, and I think that that 
I just like love talking to him about uh, his relationships with his mentors and how he got to his roles. And he, he kind of left uh, Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, moved on to Florida uh, on kind of a whim and uh, actually ended up getting a job at an unemployment office on a Friday afternoon. And that person who interviewed him actually turned out to be one of his mentors for a long time. And so just a fascinating, fascinating story. Um, and, uh, you know, and, and one of the lines that he used to always talk about, uh, I th- what he said then was that uh, uh, the guy was like, well, why should, why should we hire you? And uh, my dad said, well, I'm a diamond in a rough. You just gotta, you just gotta polish me up and I'm ready to go. Um, and so just a, just a beautiful story that's always stuck with me and is always very inspiring. And, um, um, my mom, uh, was a, um, English as a second language uh, teacher in high school, um, for many years. Uh, I'm not going to get the number right, but I want to say 10 to 15 years. Um, and you know, that's a really interesting job where, uh, a lot of times you, um, you know, the, the different, the levels of acumen and, and, um, intellectual brain power are, are, are very different. Uh, but the, the problem is just not, uh, knowing English as well. So much, much different than many other kind of classes in school. Um, so I think a little bit of both I've learned from, from both of them in many different ways that I think, uh, in terms of teaching, I feel like a lot of the work that I do these days as a podcaster and as a um, program design for, uh, the community type work that I do is definitely related to the, um, teaching work that my mom did. And then, um, and then it's just in terms of like relationships and mentorships and stuff. Um, and just trying to be around, you know, the most inspiring people that you can. I think I got that from my dad. Yeah. How old were you when you lost your dad? Uh, it was actually on my birthday and I was, uh, 22. Wow. Yeah. So it wasn't early in childhood, but it was earlier in life than most of us ever expect to lose a parent. And anytime I've, I've talked to people about this, like I tell them like, I think there's probably no fear I have more in life than the thought that, you know, one or both of my parents would die before I got married or have kids, especially being 44. Mm. And you know, we had the Frank Ostaseski. I remember telling him this, who was the director of the Zen hospice project. It was like, Frank, you're the person who might be able to answer this question for me. And he said, spend time with them now. Don't wait for these big moments in your life. But when you lose a parent that early in life, what decisions did you make about how you would live your life going forward based on that experience? How did I change after that? Yeah. For me, it was actually, it was a real kind of awakening and a real uh, time period to start to um, realize that there's, you know, less people, um, that are are kind of personally overseeing me to some extent. Um, It was in a moment to say, you know, this is, this is now, this is now the time. Um, And I feel like there was, you know, a lot of different call life type things of just coming up to speed more um, and taking more responsibility for a lot of my actions, for my learning, for my, my career, a lot of those types of things, I think really, started to um, kind of emerge and strengthen after that. Uh, and then conversely, I'd say, you know, also just improving my relationship with my family um, and thinking about 
us and the family more than than just me as a you know a, a kid uh, as an adult. Um, so I, I think it took us some time, but eventually I feel we collectively, because through my dad's passing, we became closer as a family. And then a couple of years later, we uh, started um, doing a family charity race uh, together, and that really brought us together. And that was a real, I think when you go through a grieving process, it's, it's a process and you're not entirely sure how, uh, how long it's going to last for and where it's going to take you and stuff and, you know, what resources are helpful or whatnot. And I'm just speaking from, from my experience, but, um, it, it, it took us some time, but then once we found, um, a charity race, it was a way for us to kind of like celebrate my dad Mm -hmm. and a way for us to kind of move collectively forward, um, and, uh, so that was a big, big piece for us. And, um, that's, that's how I would say, like, you know, I, um, slowly became who I am now because of, um, those, those decisions and those experiences. Yeah. Yeah. Like, you know, I, we had a a very close family friend lose uh, a daughter who I grew up with very recently this year. And, you know, the thing that we keep talking about is the fact that you know you don't get over something like this i don't imagine Mm -hmm. that there's just a day where you're like okay i'm over it because it's such a precious relationship and so important um but you know outside of of sort of collectively bringing your family together like how did you personally navigate that sort of grief cycle and processing because like you said it's, it's different for everybody but um what are the things that got you through it uh well sorry to hear about um your situation um Honestly, initially I, I turned to work and I just started working harder. Um, and so I, I didn't do a really good job of actually uh, finding resources or friends or community or uh, ways to kind of get through it. Uh, because at that time I was one of the first of my friends uh, to experience loss like that. Um, so I initially kind of like turned to, to work to kind of um, numb it to some extent. Um, but again, like that, the race that we did as a family and, and we did for nine years. Uh, and it was a really great way. Um, even when I wasn't no longer living in the Washington DC area. Um, but, uh, that, that was, I, I think that was the best thing that we could do is like finding, uh, eventually finding a way to like move forward. And I think celebrating him and honoring him and, um, and doing something positive going forward was, was, was the most productive thing that I did. Mm. Um, Speaking of careers, um, two questions <laughs> from a starting point. What did your parents teach you about making your way in the world? Did they encourage you to pursue any particular career paths? And since we're talking about a portfolio career, what was the very first job that you ever had? My, my parents encouraged me. I, I was decent uh, on a relative basis with numbers growing up. Uh, and my parents kind of really encouraged me to kind of continue to follow that curiosity. Um, so my first job after college was working, um, was working for an investment bank, um, doing equity research. Um, so when I was in, in college, I was really interested in finance and, um, and thought that that was kind of, uh, the path that I was supposed to follow. Um, and I think that they would just were really kind of encouraging of it. Um, because of, I was really interested. I used to always read, uh, and always look at the sports section and follow the stats. And 
Um, and so then when I learned about finance and the stock market and things like that, I was like, oh, this is just like a, a natural progression. Um, so yeah, the first, first professional main job after school was uh, working in equity research. Yeah. Okay. So I think the thing that caught my attention the most was that they encouraged you to follow your curiosity. And I think you mentioned that you listened to our episode on, on giving people a reason to, to find you yeah. interesting. And I think that that's often so left out of our entire education system. Like, you know, I always think that the question that we, <clears throat> that we ask kids, you know, what do you want to be when you grow up is so stupid. It's like, how are you <laughs> asking somebody what they want to be when they grow up? You know, you're basically saying, how do you want to spend the rest of your life when you've only lived a fraction of it? Yep. So how do you, how do we get that back? How do we get that, you know, curiosity impulse back? Because I think that obviously that's going to be vital to this whole idea of a portfolio career. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive in June. Olive in June gives you Everything that you need for a salon quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. 
As creators, we're always on the move. Whether it's a live podcast event, a pop-up shop, or a workshop, we're constantly interacting with community, and that's where Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe comes in. Imagine this. You're at a live event, a listener loves your merch, or a participant wants to sign up for your course on the spot. With Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, you can accept their payments right there and then, right from your iPhone so there's no extra hardware or no delays. Total game changer. It's not just for creators. Any business owner can do this. It's about making transactions smoother and much more personal, growing your business in your way. We've been using Stripe for our products and courses for a long time, and now with Tap to Pay on iPhone, you can take your business to the next level too. So visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone to learn more. Remember folks, with Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, your business is always at your fingertips. Yeah, I, I think that it starts by, by uh, and things that have worked for me have realized like, you know, the, the, the tools, um, like, you know, how we're, how we're talking right now are more and more available than they were before. Um, you know, things that are, uh, there's more and more ways to, to kind of create projects. There's more ways to connect with people. There's more and more ways to like expose yourself and your skills, um, that I think like really, um, allows and encourages people to, take chances to build projects, to build relationships, to enhance their skills. Um, and I think like it, 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 it's interesting. It's like, you know, with, with my podcast and your podcast, it's, I bet you can kind of think it's like, it's not really work, but it is work, right? Like you're talking to people. <laughs> and I think like, if you were to, to like, look back on that, like, you know, and say, Hey, reaching out to people that you're learning from, or you think that are interesting and stuff. And like that is work and that's going to help you long term. You don't know exactly how it's going to help. Um, but I think like just encouraging people to like just reach out to people that they find are interesting or that they're learning from. I think that's a really great way to just like start. Um, podcasting is a natural uh, to way. It's like, OK, you're already talking on Zoom. Just like record those calls. And obviously there's a lot more nuance to podcasting, but just like kind of like breaking down some of these steps for people and just saying like uh, it's a lot, it's 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 doable and it's easier than ever. Yeah. Well, how do you go from working in banking to doing this? <laughs> um, so for me, things really started to change in uh, the summer of 2018. Um, it's when I signed up uh, and was a student in a uh, podcasting course, a cohort-based course. Um, at the time I had, um, at the time I, I was kind of, doing a bunch of different things and, and, um, you know, a portfolio career. Uh, and I, at, at that time, people were asking me questions like, Hey, David, I see you doing this. I see you doing that. Like, I don't, I don't quite get it. And, um, this was after about, uh, a couple of months after working at a startup. And, uh, at this time I was living in New York and before when I was, I was living in San Francisco, it was all about kind of like, you know, what, what startup are you working at and, and stuff. And then when I moved to New York, I started kind of meeting interesting people that were, you know, were, were not really defined by, or not really interested in as much in kind of one job. They were uh, exploring their creative interests. So they were, you know, writing books, posting blog posts, um, creating events, um, experimenting in many different ways. And then in the summer of 2018, I signed up for uh, this podcast podcasting course I was, I was telling you about. Um, and that really kind of changed everything for me. 
um, seeing kind of like-minded people all around the world, all come together, all wanting to create podcasts independently, but um, also like collectively supporting each other um, was really a game changer for me. And from then on, I've thankfully been able to keep the show going and um, just learned a lot of skills. I, I just saw the world differently after taking a cohort-based course um, in the summer of 2018. Yeah. Well, let's talk uh, about this idea of building a portfolio career and why it is so important. Um, so I want to bring back a clip from a previous episode that we had with Chase Jarvis, uh, where he talked about how this has all changed. Take a listen. Cool. There's a lot of sort of strong economic theory that believes that a sort of a stagnating or a lukewarm economy has student debt as its basis because the students are um, hamstrung with college debt. The country, the government is disincentivized to remove it. It's the only debt that you can't mm -hmm. um, declare bankruptcy to escape. And and the the federal government makes a ton of money off the interest from student loans. So there's this a, a loop that disincentivizes breaking that loop. Um, so the fact that the average student graduates with $40,000 and then it's hampering our whole economy, that in and of itself will drive people away. Uh, the fact that if our parents had one job, we will have five and the next generation or the generation that's growing up listening to this right now will have five at the same time. Mm -hmm. uh, the schooling system that we've grown up with or that pre preceded us is absolutely incapable, um, literally a hundred percent incapable. They cannot evolve fast enough to address this need. Um, and so it's going to have to, and we're seeing this, all of the data is very clear yeah. that, you know, that, that going to a certain college only helps you if you go to the certain, the top, like one third of a percent, there's like 12 or 18 schools mm -hmm. that if you go to these schools, you are disproportionately likely to get some job X. I thought that would be a, a perfect jump off point to talk about this whole idea of a portfolio model of careers. But if we're going to have a portfolio model of careers, I think to Chase's point, we have to start with a portfolio approach to our education uh, early on. So if you were tasked with redesigning our modern education system to accommodate what is effectively a world of portfolio careers, where would you start? Ooh. <laughs> uh, I am by no means the expert on this. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but, you know, I, I, I think that we should look at uh, one way to start to think about it is like, what are the skills that uh, people are, are utilizing? Um, and what are the modern, what's like kind of like, what are the modern day skills? Um, and those, you know, those, those adapt, right? And those evolve with technologies. Um, but I mean, to me, and I was talking about it earlier about these cohort based courses, I think it's really interesting um, uh, of how you can create these smaller, uh, dynamic, flexible cohort-based courses um, around a lot of different topics that are more current and and modern and dynamic to what what people need to to learn, to grow, and to make a living. So I I, I would, um, and that's not the be all end all. I mean, but I, I think like kind of the expansion of cohort-based courses is definitely uh, one way that I think will improve things. Uh, to improve people's um, skills to to kind of meet the current demands. Yeah. Well, let's talk about this from the standpoint of an actual, you know, career building. I mean, we're talking about courses in, you know, in particular, and I'm always kind of 
baffled by the fact that I, I jokingly say that this show gave me an education to kick the crap out of the one that I got from two degrees, you know, a, you know, a undergraduate degree from Berkeley and an MBA from Pepperdine. And yet I probably learned more usable skills from doing this show than I ever did from yeah. those two degrees. But, you know, you're talking about this whole idea, like a portfolio of careers. Um, and April, we talked about that. Like, we're not going to have sort of bullet points and a resume and jobs, but a portfolio. Like, why is that so vitally important for the future of work? Well, I think it's, um, well, I, I'll speak from, from my experience and is that I think that the resume is not, uh, in your episode, uh, in March, 2020, um, about giving people a reason to find you interesting, uh, I think really speaks to this, um, is that the resume is, is becoming less and less relevant. Um, I, I actually thought that on, on your episode there was fascinating to think about like, w- what about if you were trying to find a job knowing that you could never utilize a resume? Like, what would that look like? Yeah. Um, have you, have you thought more about that, uh, that thought of that experiment, Srini? Well, seeing as the fact that I'm not trying to find a job and nobody <laughs> would probably hire me, I haven't, but that is an interesting, you know, experiment because I mean, that literally was what kicked off the, the foundation of unmistakable creative and all my blogging career was to try to find a job without my resume because my resume was useless. Uh, <laughs> it literally, you know, had no tangible evidence of anything I know how to do. And I think I talked about this in the episode where I came up with this ridiculous project called 100 Reasons You Should Hire Me. And it was an abysmal failure because I couldn't come up with 100 reasons why anybody should hire me. And that's when I realized, I was like, OK, wait a minute. This is problematic. Like, I can't even think after 10 years of working and getting a you know MBA, I don't have a hundred reasons why somebody should hire me. I needed to clearly do something different. Yeah. And, and then you started blogging and then you started the show to try to find a job, right? I started the blog to find a job. Uh, this show was an accident that was a byproduct of that blog. Yeah. Um, so I, I, I think like, you know, um, the like the last four gigs or jobs that I've had have have kind of come through uh, and related to the body of work that I've created through the podcast. Um, in in many, I think in all four of those, I don't think a resume was ever shown. Yeah. So, you know, uh, I I think that I <laughs> I'm not going to be polishing up my resume more. It's more about developing a body of work, you know, sharing links and share, you know, posting things online and, you know, developing relationships and, uh, further developing new skills. And I think like that, uh, that's, that's kind of where we are now. And that's where I think we'll continue to, to trend. Yeah. So, you know, it's, it's funny because I think one piece of pushback I get on this whole idea, I, I know this because we're doing research for launching a course about how to, uh, to build an audience, speaking of cohort-based courses, and we just got back all the survey data yesterday. And there's this almost underlying narrative or, or sort of fear that, okay, what is the point of all of this if I don't have an audience that sees it? And mm. I think that in my mind, you're presenting a pretty solid counterargument for why it doesn't matter if you don't have some massive audience uh, consuming the thing because it's still worth doing. It still opens doors that you wouldn't have, you know, possibly known. Like, I had no idea this show would lead to all of this. <laughs> yeah. And it keeps you going, right? Like yeah, not, yeah, it does. You're not, you're, not, you're not saying, oh, well, depending on where the audience is, then I'm going to keep going or not. I mean, right? I've been at this for 10 years, so <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 
So what else did, what else did you learn from the, the, the survey? Well, it, honestly, I think that people spend a lot of time worrying about a lot of the wrong things. Like they're concerned that they don't know how to do SEO, that they're not getting traction on social media. It, it's kind of funny that there are all these things. And I realized I'm like most of these things are not the reason that you're struggling to gain traction. The fact that you're not getting traction has a lot to do with the fact that you're not even doing the work period in my mind. Mm. And you're focusing on the sort of, you know, like things, ancillary activities surrounding the work at the cost of doing the work. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board certified physicians who can prescribe FDA approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Yeah. Yeah, I think um, if I could pull it up, but I think one of the things when I started the podcast, um, the initial blog post by by Seth Godin talking about the 
podcasting fellowship, um, which I think is now called the podcasting workshop was around, I think it's, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter how many listen people listen to it. Doesn't matter if you have a sponsor or not, it matters if you made it. And that line really stuck with me was like making things Mm. and the act of making things alone has a lot of different benefits from the skills, but also like for me, I I just, I I really like the idea of just, you know, creating, like having a conversation just like this, editing, cleaning things up a little bit, um, and then publishing it. And it's a really empowering feeling. And so much of like, it's, and you, you get, you feel that a lot more with projects than you do in, in jobs, so to speak. Um, so I think that that line really like stood out to me and, and Seth's been a huge influence to me. Um, but just the idea of like, you know, and it it talks a lot about just what you were saying there about like, what are the stats that really matter? What are the metrics that really matter? And it's not necessarily, it's not always downloads. Uh Um, so I, I've really just tried to continue to think about that because I remember when I started my show, people were like, well, you know, how are you going to monetize blah, blah, blah. And it's like, I don't know. Like, <laughs> I just, I just want to make this like, you know, I'm, you know, I, I want to kind of explore what I'm seeing. Like it was just was felt great to work on multiple things. And, um, after, you know, kind of a, a new worldview. And then, um, you know, my first interview was with my roommate. I was curious about how he, <laughs> how he paid rent. Uh, mm-hmm. that'd be, that'd be a good idea to, to, to ask my roommate how he pays rent, but um, and so just yeah, like, probably <laughs> just in case he's selling cocaine and you don't know it. So uh, it just was. And so from there, then I just like, I started and I just kind of kept going. And then, um, that, that's, uh, and, and, no, and so rarely along the way do, do people ask like, well, how many downloads do you have or how many sponsors do you have? It's like, I think once you keep going with your, with your work and your project, people say, Oh, this person's serious about it. Like that's interesting to me. Um, and you know, as I mentioned earlier, like the last four gigs and projects and jobs have kind of come through the podcast, like through relationships and things like that. And that's not, you know, I think that those are way more valuable than, you know, uh, you know, $10 or hundred dollars sponsorship kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Well, so, you know, it's funny you asked, you know, what else did people say in the survey? So I, I pulled it up, dude. Yeah. I thought it would be an interesting you know, point of discussion for us. But it's amazing how much metrics not going in the direction people want them to is like this, you know, thing that absolutely kills their motivation. And you're talking about making it for the sake of making it, which I, I wrote an entire book about this. So, um, <laughs> you, you know, you're preaching to the choir. And at the same time, I'm mindful of the fact that it's kind of easy to have that perspective when you're sitting in my shoes with an audience. Um, and it can be very frustrating. We don't like, so how do people find that motivation that you're talking about to actually have that perspective that it doesn't matter, you know, how many people listen, it matters that you made it. It doesn't matter how many people read it. It matters that you wrote it. That's such a counterintuitive idea for most people. Because you live in this world where everybody's parade of accomplishments is on perpetual display. Yeah, I, th- I, it, I think it becomes an act to like getting clear as to like upfront, like what are the goals? And because once you start a project and once you start creating a body of work, you're always going to think more, 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 more. 
But I think if you get up, uh, get clear up front and say, you know, this is, this is just a project that I'm going to keep doing. And here's the main things that I'm focused on. For me, it was like continuing the show. For me, it was like, am I getting better at the conversations improving them? Like the art of interviewing as, as, as you know, is it's a, it's an ongoing thing. Like there's just so much to learn from there. So like conversation alone, just learning the art of conversation, the, learning the art of asking questions. Um, I, I would love to continue to, that's a lifelong skill um, to continue to get better at. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I think like being up clear up front as much as possible to say like, here's the goal. And knowing that once you start and numbers start to get in the, like are just naturally going to come up, be like, so I'm not going to focus on those. Yeah. I mean, like I, I have often sacrificed metrics for the sake of a good story. They were like, this is a no name guest. And I'm like, yeah, but they're interesting. <laughs> yeah, and yeah. then I've said no to people who would probably cause our downloads to skyrocket. And and what uh what what are the what's the decision uh, making process there? And has it changed or is it still no, the same? It's never changed. It's always stayed the same. Uh, the primary filter, I think, as I was telling you before we hit record, was that curiosity. You know, like, am I curious about this person? Do I think their story is interesting? And you know is this going to be a story that serves the people who are listening is always the choice. It doesn't matter if they're some famous person. In fact, some of the most famous people I've interviewed have been some of our worst interviews and some of them were so bad. We didn't publish them. <laughs> Jury's still out on this one, but, uh, <laughs> well, I mean, that's the thing, right? Is that to me, and that's, that's actually a tough choice, particularly when it becomes a business where you're always kind of, you know, in this balancing act between the integrity of the content and, you know, what's good for the business. Like recently we had, you know, uh, the CEO of one of the companies that advertises on our show reach out. And I was just like, okay, like I, I had to look very closely and be like, yeah, they would actually pay to be on the show. And I'm like, this is a, that's a thin line. I'm like, are we, we're, we're, we're basically, you know, at a line where it's like, are we willing to compromise editorial policy for money? Mm. Uh, and, you know, and then that's always a tough choice. But I also was like, OK, this person actually probably would make sense as a guest if they don't like we've turned down the CEOs of companies who've advertised on our show and we've said no. We're like, mm. just because you advertise on the show, it doesn't mean you should be a guest. Yeah. And they need to respect, respect the show and yeah. respect your decision. Yeah. Um, but the, I think the the thing that you mentioned is, you know, knowing the goal and the idea that the goal is just to keep going is something that I think most people are just like, well, that seems pointless. What, do I, what if it's not going to lead anywhere? And in my mind, I was like, that's kind of the point is you don't know where it's going to lead. You can't know where it's going to lead. You're not, you know, Marty McFly. You don't have a damn time machine. You can't predict how the future is going to turn out. Um, but it's still worth doing because it's basically you're going to know things you didn't know before. And the other argument that I always make for this is the value of skills that you can transfer to everything else that you do. Mm-hmm. Um, that's one thing I learned from writing books. Now, I don't know what, you know how it's been for you, but like I'm guessing there are probably skills from your finance days that have transferred to this. Like I realized I probably wasn't going to get another book deal. And at first I was really disappointed. I thought, what a waste. And then I realized it was like I got the most invaluable skill of all from doing that. And that was that I learned how to make ideas happen. Hmm. What did it feel like when you first figured that out? I mean, like, do I, would I like to get another opportunity to write a book with a publisher? Yeah. If the opportunity (laughs) presented itself, of course I would. But 
it made me realize that, wait a minute, that actually is a skill that is 10,000 times more valuable than a book deal because of the fact that it's something I learned once, but I can keep using forever. It's yeah. kind of like the, the example I, I gave was, yeah, I think I wrote this somewhere. So like if somebody said, you know what, I'll give you a million dollars today and it'll be in your bank or I'll teach you how to make a million dollars over the next year, which one would you choose? And any yeah. reasonably intelligent person would realize that the value of the second is exponentially greater because once you learn how to do it, you can do it a hundred times. Yeah. Yeah. And I think the, the thing about creating a body of work, it's that feeling of I can make something. Um, and I'm sure, you know, it's for you with your show and you've done it way more than I have, but like that weekly feeling of like, Ooh, it'd be so cool if I reach out to this person and they say, yes. And they respond to a cold email and then you chat with them and then, you you know, conversation's great. And then you publish something a week later. Like that's a incredible feeling. And, uh, you know, before starting the podcast, I didn't have a body of work, you know, as they were talking about how I worked in finance and, um, and you know, I had, I had good jobs, so to speak. Um, but I didn't have anything that had my name on it or like, was anything that I could, you know, show anybody. And, um, and I think now just even you know, there's, you know, the unit or, or the, uh, or the size of the body of the work can be a lot smaller. I mean, you don't have to have, you know, 200 episodes like me, but, um, or a thousand episodes plus like you, but I think like a small blog post of just like, you know, here's the scope of the project or here's the scope of my role, or here's, here's where I got stuck or things like that. Like really show, showcases how you think and how you adapted and the decisions you made. And I think that that's super valuable and you never know who's going to read your stuff or, uh, reach out to you. And I think that that's really cool. And, but that the feeling of like just making ideas happen and, and, and creating the smallest thing possible, um, is incredible. Yeah. I, I think that the fact that you just talked about creating the smallest thing possible is, is such a, a vitally important point. I want to spend more time on that because what do we do? We live in this world, like I said, where everybody's like, oh, I got to build the next unicorn. I need to build the next Uber. I need to build, you know, the next Airbnb. And so people undervalue these small things. But I think they seem to forget that, by the way, you realize every single thing that you think that's big now literally started small. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, what was your first episode like? <laughs> I mean, we asked I, about well, I shared a little bit about mine, but I would love to hear your first episode. Like, did you think you're going to have a thousand episodes? <laughs> no. So the first episode literally was an, a lesson in a course about how to start a blog, ironically. Um, and the very first guy I interviewed told me, don't underestimate what this is going to do for you. And wow. it was literally just a MP3 file on my, my regular blog, no podcast, no iTunes, nothing. I just recorded a conversation and uploaded it with a few bullet points. That's how this all started. Wow. What, what's, um, seems like, uh, that guy's got a free round of beers on you whenever he wants, huh? Well, funny, you know, funny <laughs> enough, like when I met him, uh, you know, I met, I remember walking into my literary agent's office seven years after that conversation and I looked on her shelf and I saw his book and I was like, you won't, this was literally right after I'd signed my book contract. And I'm like, wow. I was like, this is surreal. I was like, Josh Hanegar, he's one of your clients. I was like, Josh was the first person I ever interviewed. Yeah. 
And you always remember that. And I think that there's so much power in trying to be the first for other people. Like, you know, I'm talking about my first podcast guest. I, uh, there's sometimes when we're at like events and I'll try to introduce him or whatever. And then I'm like, Oh, by the way, he was the first podcast guest. And it's uh, <laughs> and like, I, there's, I will always remember him as that way. And yeah. just how you, the way we're talking about Josh here. Um, and I think it's, you know, that's, that's a really, if the, if you're asking what is something that you could do for somebody else, it's like be their first customer, be their first, you know, uh, referral, be their first, like that is such a incredible thing that you could be a gift to somebody else for. But I know my first readers, I know who they are. And I remember my earliest listeners, like probably my longest running listener who I actually communicate with weekly and, uh, is actually a member of our community is a guy named Peter in New York. Uh, oh. and you know, he, we jokingly say Peter's is the OG listener. Like he's been here so long that he's literally known us from long before we were even called the unmistakable creative. <laughs> Shout out Peter. Yeah. Um, do you want to talk more about this? The smallest possible? Yeah, uh, let's, let's do that because, well, Seth talks about this, right? The smallest viable audience and yep. people hate that. People absolutely hate that idea because they're like, Oh, it's only worth doing if I can reach the most number of people. And so I, I actually am curious, you know, as somebody who has started in 2018, what your view is on this. So we're the anomaly of the podcast world because we started long before everybody else. We grew slower and we're smaller. Uh, but what I realized is in a world that has becoming increasingly noisy and as the media landscape becomes more fragmented, loyalty in my mind is going to matter a lot more than reach. Mm. Loyalty is going to matter a lot more. Yeah, I, that's what I think. Yeah. That having a small, loyal group of people is going to be far more valuable because inevitably you are going to have fragmentation. Like, you know, that's the thing is that opportunity creates competition and competition creates fragmentation. Yeah. Well, smallness also goes back to being, you know, specific and unique and, this ties back to, uh, you know, the episode that we were talking about earlier about give people a reason to find you interesting. I thought it was really fascinating around the idea of like how to stand out, um, mm -hmm. but you can stand out to a small group. Um, yeah. um so, I mean, I think sm smallest, smallest possible is, you know, like if you're smallest to 10 people and those 10 people can, you know, open doors, become your best friends, be your clients, like that's could be good enough. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, it, so I, I wrote a, a sort of counter argument to Kevin Kelly's thousand true fans mm. and uh, it was titled a hundred true fanatics. It mm. was like a thousand true fans is hard in the world today, way harder than it was when Kevin Kelly originally came up with that idea. But a hundred true fanatics is basically the first step to a thousand true fans. Mm. And how, how do you think, how do you think about that post today? Do you, do you agree with it more? Now? I think it's uh yeah. well, if you're starting out, I think that you need a, a number that is something that you feel you can reasonably hit. A thousand is a really long way off. So the, so the, it's funny because you're talking about what do I learned from the show. A lot of the social science that I've been exposed to shaped that concept. Um, so we had Sean Acors, a happiness researcher here mm -hmm. a long time ago. And, one of the things that he talked about, and I've talked about this before, he's like, the brain makes progress towards a goal based on the perceived distance to that goal. Now, 
if you have zero people reading what you do, um, listening to, you know, whatever your podcast is, reading your books, reading your blog, a thousand is an eternity. It's like, whoa, that is so far that it's <laughs> demotivating. A hundred doesn't seem so far-fetched. So it's easier to maintain your motivation. And if you get the first hundred, then it becomes easier to get to the next hundred and the next hundred and the next hundred and so on. Yeah. Yeah, I think the... That's a fascinating uh, way to think about it. I, I I think the, like the smallest possible minimum viable. Like I I I I try to think about like what's a minimum viable episode. Um, you know what what's good enough to to get going. And I recently, um, uh, you know I, I I not nearly as long as you, but I've been podcasting for a little while, and also like I really loved uh, being a coach to to podcasters and help them launch their shows, and I, I, you know was was in that space for a little while and in 2018 2019 and kind of moved on to some other things and in, in my portfolio and 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 other stuff and then uh earlier this year I was like you know I've got I've got some knowledge on here and got some experience and I've know how to make you know I've done some stuff with other courses and um and I was like what would it look like if I were to just to make a course and you know it's a, it's a free for now course and it's how to start and scale a podcast. And the the funny part, and this goes back to the minimum viable and the art of just making things just to make things like, you know, I just put it out there and was like, this was fun. I felt like a bolt of energy one day to, to like package this all up and to make it. And, you know, it was just like, it was really fun and energizing. And the response from people is always like, how's that going? You know, like, how many people are, are, are taking it? And like, again, like that was not my goal. My goal was like, Hey, I've developed enough level of expertise around this. Um, I like doing this and while it's still fresh and, uh, I want to create something from this. And, um, so it's, you know, call it a minimum viable course and hopefully it's for the smallest possible audience, but enough for somebody to utilize this information and to either, start a, a new show or keep going with their existing show. So I don't know. I, I just really like these little smaller experiments, but you yeah. know, if someone's like, well, what's this for? It's like, well, now I could showcase to someone like, this is how I think about things or, um, so you never know where these little like hooks or these little, uh, small little assets or these small little things that you do will end up, you know, turning into something later on. Yeah. I, I love this. I mean, you, I think you just gave me the title for this episode, the power of minimum viable projects. <laughs> um, and it's funny because I, I actually wrote a, an article on Medium titled "Start a Minimum Viable Podcast." Wow! And yeah. what, what what was in that uh, that article? It was precisely the story I told you. This is how you start a minimum viable podcast: record a conversation and publish it by uploading an MP3 and share it with a few people. <laughs> that's it. I mean, that's literally how Unmistakable <laughs> Creative started. Yeah. But the thing is that that was kind of my default has always been rapid bias towards action. Like I don't mm -hmm. spend a lot of time belaboring, you know, whether an idea will be perfect or work. And granted, I think that there is something to be said for what uh, Tony Fidel in his new book, Build, calls delayed intuition, where mm -hmm. that can be very useful too, particularly if you're talking about, you know, like massive, massive ideas that will take a lot of capital and time. But yeah. a lot of the ideas we're talking about, the, the portfolio projects, you know, these minimum viable projects, most of them don't take time. 
they just take the guts to actually get off your ass and do it. Yeah, exactly. And I think we'll always, um, you kind of never know what will pop up. Like there was, um, you'll never know uh, what will pop up, but also your, your, your mind will start to get, uh, be attracted once you know, oh, I have this link or I have this blog post or I have this, you know, small minimum viable project that I can share with somebody else. Um, like, you know, I'm not sure, you know, how active you are on Twitter and stuff, but like, there's things that are just kind of floating around there. And if you're like, oh, if I've got a link handy to at least showcase my point of view or something I've done related to this, like I can contribute to this conversation. Um, and so those things, like, you never know when that's going to happen, but, um, there's definitely been times where I'm like, ah, oh, like I've got experience on this, but I don't have anything to show for it. Um, eh, like maybe next time. Well, I think you made probably one of the most important points you've made in this conversation. And that's the difference between being a spectator and a participant. When you're uh, simply a consumer of content, you end up being a spectator, but when you create, you actually have an opportunity to be a participant. Yeah. Yeah. And, and you never know, like there's, um, you, you never know what, what, what it's going to turn into. And just, it, it goes back to this, like the idea around the minimum Bible, like once you start, like for me, it's like, as I mentioned, like it's such an empowered feeling just to know, like every week I'm putting something out, like whatever else can happen during the week. I mean, obviously there's a lot of things that go on in the world these days, but like just knowing that I'm publishing a new episode each week, like it's such an incredible feeling. And I would love for more people to feel that way too. And just knowing that you're making progress, uh, it is just, it's incredible feeling. I want, once that, you know, it's like the, the line, like once, once you learn to see, you can't unsee. And that's kind of how I feel these days, uh, about, you know, creating minimum viable episodes, minimum viable pro- projects. Um, and thankfully I've been able to kind of build a portfolio around it to be able to keep going. Awesome. Well, this has been really fascinating. Um, I have really enjoyed talking about this. It's kind of been wide ranging, but a little different than other interviews we've done with sort of no set sort of structure. But uh, I think that's what made it so interesting. And I think it's appropriate given that we're talking about portfolios. So I have <laughs> one final question for you, which is how we finish all of our interviews. What do you think it is that makes somebody or something unmistakable? Unmistakable means that they, unmistakable creative means like that. To me, it's like, it's a feeling and it's a feeling that like this person goes back to what we were talking about before, like is a creator that is on the offense, that is taking action um, and however way that they choose to express it. Um, and I, th- I think that that you can see it within other people and I, I know that I can feel it. Uh, and that's the way that I would like to continue. Amazing. Well, I can't thank you enough for taking the time to join us and share your story and your insights with listeners. Where can people find out more about you, your work, and everything else you're up to? Well, first, Srini, thank you so much for this conversation. This was amazing. Um, can't wait to check check out all these other different references that you mentioned. Um, <laughs> it's, it's, it's not about where to find me. It's like, I think we should all link check out these, these uh, blog posts and everything that you talked about. Um, but if people are interested in learning more about Portfolio Career Podcast, that's you know, it's uh, all the episodes are at PortfolioCareerPodcast.com um, and all everywhere else you listen to, to stuff. Um, you can also see the link to the course that I talked about there. Um, and then also I've got a, a personal website, DavidNabinsky.com. Um, yeah. And I'm on Twitter, anywhere else. Pretty much if you want to find me on the internet, you can find me. Amazing. And for everybody listening, we will wrap the show 
with that. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program. Have you ever felt a twinge of worry about AI taking over your job or diluting your creativity? Well, what if you could turn that fear into creative fuel? We've just published an amazing new ebook called The Four Keys to Success in an AI World. And this is more than just a guide. It's a deep exploration into the human skills that AI can't touch. The skills that are essential for standing out and thriving, no matter how much technology evolved. We're talking about real differentiators here like creativity, emotional intelligence, critical thinking, and much more. Inside, you'll find actionable insights and strategies to develop these skills, whether you're a creative person, a business person, or just simply someone who loves personal development. This isn't a story about tech taking over. It's a story of human creativity thriving alongside AI. Picture this AI as your creative co-pilot, not just as a tool, but a collaborator that enhances your unique human skills. 
The Four Keys ebook will show you exactly how to do that and view AI in a new way that empowers you instead of overshadows you. Transform your creative potential today. Head over to unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys. Use the number four, K-E-Y-S. That's unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys and download your free copy.